be honest, your favorite character. I want to thank you for joining us on this adventure. Starlight has taken a lot of love from all four of us, and from the bottom of our hearts, we are so thankful. Every review, every subscribe, every Patreon subscriber, or in any way that you give back to Starlight means the world to us. And in case you didn't know, each reading or review helps reveal our podcast for those finding new podcasts and adventures to go on. I truly hope you enjoy the venture ahead. Until next time, see you later, spacers. Hello, spacers. It's Isaac, your host, GM, and neighborhood track athlete. Uh, We're going to do something a little bit different here this week and probably for the next Q&A session and potentially after that. As you all know, this is a space opera sci-fi adventure and it couldn't be complete without starships and dragons. That's right, the very vehicles which we use to pilot across the Antiminous galaxy. But with that comes a whole new set of systems that D&D 5e was not meant to have. That is, piloting vehicles, going through epic space battles, stealing vehicles, boosting speeders, and making daring escapes or runs. So, as the spacers are, and don't tell them, closing in on getting their first starship or dragon, uh, unless they stole one by now, which I've been waiting for that. But anyways, if they haven't, don't tell them. It's coming up around the corner. And with that, there may come scenarios, because I'm not omniscient and I have no clue what they're going to do, where they might need to pilot to escape to battle, to astro-navigate, who knows? And with that comes rules that me and the players have discussed, but you have no idea what we're talking about. So, in this Q&A section, this lore segment is dedicated to starting to reveal and pull back the curtain of our homebrew rules for starship, dragon piloting, and land vehicles. If you're interested, uh, besides more than just hearing this little audio treat, Uh, and you want to find out more, head over to our Patreon, where you can find the link to in our description uh, within whatever podcast app you are looking at right now. Um, There you'll be able to find the sheet, and if you have any interest in bringing it in, tweaking it, or even telling us that we did a terrible job, jump on over there. Go ahead. Have a crack at it. Let us know what you think. And with that, let's jump in to a short segment on vehicles. So everyone, everyone has their sheets. Uh, so walk y'all through it. So the, they're specifically made to be. Uh, the, a lot of it is like Starfinder inspired, but a lot simpler. I, I don't like. My main issue with Pathfinder is how not simplistic it is. How much like, I don't know. I don't enjoy D, like the D and D three e all that much because of how much math was involved to do anything. And Starfinder is very much that way. So I tried to like dumb it down, make it as simple as possible. So as I was telling Sam, you have, there are three different classes of vehicles. You have dragons, which you guys are familiar with. Uh, And of those, you have compact, which is like more like sizes. Compact is more like smaller uh, freighter, medium-sized dreadnought. Think like giant armada type battlestar. Imperial starship. Yeah, there we go. 
That's so what I want. If a dragon is like a biological almost like entity with that a starfighter is old school, like made of metal, electric, okay. like all that sort of stuff. Um, and then you have any sort of land vehicles which come in the three three flavors. So all all the rest is to kinda of help parcel out the the sheets. So Ooh, Ooh you really went into this. You'll see that the name vehicle name is Honestly, it's going to be whatever you guys name it. The make is again like Dragon Starship Land, and specifically what kind. Um, the first box you'll see is maneuverability. Maneuverability is something specifically added to whoever is piloting it. So um, uh, let's take a step back. Uh, in general, um, unless it's like a skill challenge or a combat thing, you're not going to have to really do many rolls. Maybe like. The pilot's gonna have to do some more stuff depending on what's going on circumstantially. So let's let's talk about this in terms of combat. Uh, it's side combat with these because um, you have a crew and the crew is manning the ship from different positions. Uh, so one side's gonna go and all their crew's gonna take their actions in any order that the crew decides to take the actions. Okay. Uh, so it gives you guys a little bit of strategic leeway and then it moves over to the other person. And the crew, has different roles that are filled at a time. Um, so every starship is slightly unique. There, are, I do have cookie cutter ones, but you can in the game you can. You guys are free in the same way to like go find someone to like modify, get prosthetics, all that sort of stuff. It's the same. You can go to like a shipyard and start augmenting your ships once you have one, or that you've stolen one, or whatever. Um, so it just makes the assumption that the, we're gonna steal. Yeah, one. yeah it'll probably happen. Yeah. So the cookie cutter thing is I did try is, to steal Atlas's ship from the beginning. You mm. did. You guys did. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I went to go explore it. You sat on the entrance. It's just I sat there. You stowed away. I tried. Yeah. Well, after I tried to hack into it. You were the one who tried to steal it. How dare you accuse me? Of Hacking into. I just sat on the landing. Maybe. Maybe that was our plan all along. Uh -huh. Maybe we already did this. trains off. Is it on? Yeah. It oh, wow. It was cold. Oh, gotcha. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, in general, everyone has, like, one role that they're going to fill at a time. You can switch the roles. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you look on the right side of the sheet middle, it says actions. One of the things is switch position. I put, like, an underscore mark. That actually has no plus to it. It's just, like, you choose to spend your action of that turn doing that or not. Okay. And switching positions, essentially, there's, there's three main positions and that's the pilot that's gunners and then that's anybody repairing or if there's anything like let's say you're in the gunner's position and then circumstantially something comes up uh then you're gonna you're gonna take the switch position action to go do that like let's say like a fire erupts in the med bay or something that might depending on the situation it might fall under repair type thing anyways so depending, every ship has its own amount of guns. It's dependent. Uh, cookie cutter though is usually there's only one pilot seat that could change depending on how you guys augment. So you could get some control issues, but generally you're gonna switch back and forth between positions. So uh, let's so let's say we're in combat. So maneuverability, it's a uh, every ship has like base things, but this modifier will you add to the piloting checks of your action. So. I know that you play the, the pilot for the most part. So dodge, barrel roll, fly by. You're gonna take the maneuverability score and add that in addition to your own 
piloting score that you have on your character sheet. Is that the just the piloting skill? Yep. The vehicle handling? Yeah, or yeah. Is, yeah, okay. Okay, so your maneuverability is just your piloting score, right? Uh, no, it's it. the ship itself ha- is like, you know how like some vehicles are more maneuverable? Yeah. Oh, you're gonna so the ship itself that. has its own stats that you're then adding your, you, yeah, your, you're your adding, piloting. Yeah, you're adding. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay, okay. okay, and then, so then speed. This is how quickly you move in comparison to other ships, and it's the how that equates on the battlefield. It's how many hexes a ship can fly in a turn. Um, so you're going to see that speed's relatively low for ships because I'm just not going to have you moving 500 spaces. I mean, I can't move 600 light years away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I jump into hyperspace and move over there into another galaxy so you can't fight me. But well, it's not happening. I mean, so then it makes me wonder. I'm sure we'll probably get to it, but like, if you wanted to make an escape attempt in your ship, yeah, you can do stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, we, I have rules for that. But so speed's just relative, like so. Like for example, the land speeders you guys took, that has a speed of two, so that's way more than anything you guys could actually physically move as people. But as ships, you're moving yeah. that hex. Got it. Um, initiative. The initiative changes. It's equal to the pi- whoever's piloting the ship's initiative because they're the ones making the controls. So let's take the initiative. And in the time-honored words of our favorite Star Wars characters, Chewie, punch it. And with that, let's pop on over to our Q&A, an exclusive interview with a content creator in the Dungeons & Dragons community. Jay is a person who has been creating and playing DD for a very long time he's played a myriad of different tabletop rpgs and has been playing DD since its inception and since the time that it was uh considered um satanic to play such said game uh he's seen it all and not only that he takes the game to a whole new level he is using it at his job at a correction facility to help with uh, not only passing the time for some of the inmates, but also with um, th- like therapy and uh, helping them kind of like figure out how to make better life decisions and so that they can move on. Um, and Jay has been able to find a way to not only have the love of tabletop RPG games make a difference in his life, but in others. And that's not it. He is a person you'll find with many interests, including crafting, which he does on his own channel, and you will be able to find that down in the link in the doobly-doo. And without further ado, I want to give these last few announcements before we jump in. So first off, thanks to Cameron and the crew over at Table Talk. You guys are awesome. You got us really interested in starting a Discord community. And if you don't know what that is, Discord is essentially a community platform where you can join us uh, for free and literally have chats with the, me, the GM, and the spacers of the uh, the show, as well as meet other folks who are interested in similar things. Find resources for those of you who want to get into D&D or just talk about the show or anything really it's an it's an open book um and cameron thank you you guys at table talk uh another podcast show that everyone should go check out you guys showed us how to do that and we are just really excited about it uh and then 
I'm going to say a big thanks to uh, someone by the name of Ben Godfrey. You are the man. Um, just recently, I got a message from someone over social media who found out, basically through an interview of mine, that I love Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And he sent me Yu-Gi-Oh cards. A ton of them. So thank you, Ben. I feel like a little bit of my childhood has come back. Um, and then also, Courtney or McKenna Ali has been doing cool things in the uh, the sector of nonprofits and Ring of Hope. If you haven't checked them out, they are surrounding vulnerable youths with all the support structures to have a self-sustainable future out in Kenya and eventually the world. And you can now go visit them at their website, donate, help them bring this mission to life. Um, and then lastly, we have maybe some exciting news. Now, in no way is this a sponsorship or anything, but we love using Paizo's um, cutout pond pieces. And those pond pieces, they're beautiful, they're works of art, and they're so easy to move around in. Well, uh, Paizo might be sending us a few of these, and if they do, we will be sharing with you some of the different art pieces. And yeah, that's just a really cool thing for us as we are establishing ourselves in the community. So without further ado, enough of this guy talking. Let's move in to this Q&A. On my Facebook feed, Dungeon Master Resources, some guy posted a picture of himself standing just in his boxers and says, Hi, I'm new to the group. I'm Deb so-and-so. And the comments were like, um, we don't do that here. Another <laughs> comment was, not that kind of Dungeon Master. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... Because I looked at, I had to double check the 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 uh, page it was under. Yeah. And I was like, "Am I? What is? Oh, <laughs> somebody's an idiot." That's hilarious. It was. It was totally funny. <laughs> Are we live? Uh, yeah, we're live right now. So right any, anyone can join, but right now it's just okay. just us. Um, yeah. I have the agent in my lap. Oh yes, everyone who has listened to our show has definitely seen Marty McFly. But does uh, everyone know that's the inspiration for McKenna's um, disguise name? Marty McFly? Yeah. So Jay, you don't know this, so... I'm gonna find out, I guess, yeah, right we'll now. We'll tell you. So, right. um, McKenna, who's the character that I play, she <laughs> kind of had to go undercover because, you know, she was put in prison and then had to escape and kind of had this... Mm -hmm. It was an awesome story. But then, obviously, when you escape from prison, you don't want to look like you are. And she's the only Loxodon ever. Of course. what it feels like. And yeah. so, she puts on this collar. And then, so this collar makes her look like something else. But it, she's the same size as she was before. So, she's this, like, oversized human. Um, it's, it's amazing. But the oversized <laughs> okay. human, um, her name is Marty McFly. Marty! Yes, exactly. Exactly. Do That's... you do the voice? No. Doc, Doc, what are we gonna do? Mm -mm. No? Nope. I'm the I one who has to go. <laughs> We're gonna go get that kid! <laughs> um, Alright. Okay. Okay. So, guys, uh, welcome to this Starlight uh, special recording with um, our guest content creator, community special star, Jay. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, you got, you, got a, you got a lot to, to, to live up to. But Jay, yes. we are super excited to have you here for this uh, episode. Of I Star am Life. super excited to be here. Oh, good. I wasn't expecting <laughs> that enthusiasm. Well, you know, 
I mean, I don't think he's excited. Are you really excited? I'm to be really here? excited. <laughs> okay, now you said it less excited than you did it the first. It's time. a little more sarcastic. Yeah, that's how I roll. All right. I was gonna say something really mean. Okay. Um, and I'm married. Go ahead. I'm used to it. All right. I was gonna say <laughs> you've seen you've seen D and D from like pretty close to the beginning, and I was gonna say I you're did. pretty lively for a corpse. I uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Jake, tell us about the transition, like from then to what what D and D was like. Oh, when I first started, started based on then up to what, what yeah, it is now? Yeah, and like the different... When I first started in high school, like the early 80s, uh, a friend of mine, he introduced this, the a pamphlet called Chainmail. Mm-hmm. And then it had a fantasy supplement that went with it. So, okay. and you can still find these. They actually, Wizards of the Coast put out like a collector series of the three pamphlets, which was later called Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Monsters and Treasure. And then I'm going to say like, Something about the spell. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but there's three pamphlets that were like maybe 40 pages each. Okay. Uh, but I started with that and we didn't have all the cool stuff you have now. You you could get the dice and the dice were usually not the greatest plastic. They're, they, they're not as, uh, you know, Tiffany's as they are now. Are we talking like Yahtzee dice? No, or? you use regu- the polyhedral dice, oh, okay. but they were like molded out of regular plastic. Uh, out of just some different colors, all mm-hmm. solid colors. Mm-hmm. And then you were given a wax, kind of a crayon that you would like gouge in. The number was inset. <laughs> no. And then you draw the crayon in and fill it with the wax from the crayon oh, so you wow. could see the number. Yeah. Wow, that's like the trenches right there. <laughs> yeah, well, if you, and then they later had the red box. Uh-huh. That everybody, you know, the, 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 the legend of the red box. And they had those same dice in there and gave you a crayon. So you could wow. color your own dice in. I wonder, so... Do you still have any of these? Oh, heck no. Because it was one of those things I started and uh, I just played it and bought more dice and then got rid of them. You know, didn't play it like all the way up until now. I took, you know, I was doing other things and I could come back into it. Mm. <clears throat> and uh, no, I wish I did because then I could retire. Um <laughs> How much do you think that would be worth these days? I have no idea and I don't want to look because I'll cry. Okay, all right. So, uh, started with that and there were no, we really didn't have figures. I think Ralph Partha at the time was cranking out lead figures. Mm-hmm. So now they do cuter because lead poisons you. They figured that out. Um, but we had graph paper. We had a designated mapper in our group uh-huh. and a party leader. And the the DM would just describe what we're seeing and the guy would be diligently mapping on the graph paper so we could see where we're traveling. There weren't like actual battle mats or anything like that. So it was mainly theater of the mind mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, then second edition came along and they tried to improve it. Because back in the original days, your armor class was a descending armor class. Like the lower the armor class, the better. So you started at 10 mm-hmm. and like six was better than 10. Then you got down into the zeros, which is like a 20. Well, wait, how, how does that work? I'm confused. So like- They just did it the opposite the way they okay. do it now. Okay. Which, so it was like a nat one, like a critical 20? No, oh, okay. uh, no, it's still, it still counted as you had to roll a certain number. Okay. It, Cause what it was, and this is why it made no sense. Even when I was playing it, I was like, "Couldn't why would why are we not ascending armor class instead?" Mm-hmm. So if you had like a a, a two armor class, mm-hmm. it equated an eighteen. So you had to roll an eighteen or better okay. on the d twenty. Okay. So yeah, they they did it kind of. It was a little more complicated than it needed to be, and they finally fixed it with it now. An eighteen is an eighteen, not 
a two. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> that's how it started. And then they came out with second edition and they came out with this thing called FACO. FACO. Yeah, like to hit armor class zero hmm. was what that meant. And it was a way, even more complicated way of figuring it out. So that, I don't, second edition didn't stay as long. Uh-huh. And then they came, I, I, it had its, it had stuff in it that was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I remember correctly, I believe that's where Ravenloft came in, was a second edition device. That's where Ravenloft was first introduced. Then they came out with three, and then quickly after that, 3.5. Mm-hmm. And so we played that, and that fixed a lot of the problems of the first two editions. Mm-hmm. Then they came out with the uh, the edition we will not name. Four? Yeah. Oh, really? Boy, you hate it? No, I, I didn't. Here's the reason I didn't like it, and it's not their fault. Okay. It was designed... The books that came out were only half of it. The other half was supposed to be an online co- component that never made it. Mm-hmm. It never, they never got it going for whatever reason. Uh-huh. So it was like half a game, and that's why when you read the fourth edition stuff, it seems more like play manuals for a video game, like Skyrim or something, because okay. it's missing a lot of the things, the mechanics that were going to go online but never did. I feel like that's what I've heard. Is <clears throat> it felt so? I've heard from a lot of people, people who loved um, something like. Final Fantasy Tactics or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, these like very turn-based games that they loved 4E right. because it felt like that and it felt like a game. Exactly, it was more of a video game. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of the the Vista, the Windows Vista of D&D. Mm-hmm. It was the kind that they changed to and nobody really liked. <laughs> so then um, they started putting out uh, stuff about people wanting to get in on the play testing, the beta testing of 5th edition. So I jumped on that and then I was getting emails uh, that would have a module in it and character pre-generated characters. Mm-hmm. And the idea was you play through these modules and then you send your feedback. Yeah. How well did that work with yeah. this particular set of rules? Mm-hmm. And then they would ask questions like, what do you feel is a good first edition spell for a wizard? And they listed a bunch, including Fireball, which I thought would be cool, but it's still a little powerful for first level wizard. And first level characters. Yeah. Because it does so much damage and characters don't have any hit points. Um, then they came out with fifth, fifth edition, mm-hmm. and that's what we're seem to be all playing right now. Well, so fifth edition is nice because it's so streamlined. I mean, it it's, does. Have it is. It's good issues. for for beginners. It gets them in really quick because it doesn't take as long. Because in the original days, in the before times, it took for like an hour and a half to roll up a character. Mm-hmm. So if you died in the middle of the module, you were spending the next hour and a half too rolling up a new character and by then they might have already solved the dungeon well that kind of sucks i I get that that sucks yes but then i've also seen campaigns played where sometimes i feel like it's nice for the players to check out for an hour and a half and make a character (laughs) (laughs) because they're just sitting there waiting to be introduced well what i've learned to do if depending on the game i'm playing because i don't play just dungeons and dragons i play other systems Mm -hmm. as well and some are more lethal than others so i have a backup character ready to go in case I die in the super lethal game. Yes. You know, and that way they can just find me along the road, like in the next five minutes. Yeah. I like that. Uh, All of my players, everyone who's going to do a one shot with me at some point, do that. But actually, I was going to say, what is lethal to you? Lethal? Lethal in the old days was you you had a 10 foot pull and you had to tap every little thing because there was a death trap. It it can be that way. Uh, A lot of times the original game you, you know, you had your wizard starting at like a D4 for hit points. You could get no more than four hit points. I rolled up a wizard one time, and this is what put me off playing magic users for the longest time, is I rolled up a wizard, mm-hmm. I had like three hit points, we ran into cavemen, I got hit in the head, and I was dead. So 
Rolling, take it, take an hour and a half to roll up a character, and five minutes later he's dead and had to do it all over again. Nothing. I yeah. Was, I was not happy. So that's lethal. Yeah. Because the the limited met well, I should say the small amount of hit points you start with. Mm -hmm. Um. But lethal can be fun because it makes the players not fight everything they encounter because they go well. There's three thousand kobolds and four of us. We should probably talk to them. Yeah. So yeah. we don't die. Yep. Because they can swarm you. Yeah, they might be like one or two hit point creatures, but you have thirty on on you at one time doing damage. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of like letting um, <clears throat> players, especially new players, kind of see the potential consequences of getting it over their head early. Whether that's like right. getting themselves in trouble politically with hot water, or like um, I, I guess this is maybe the difference between me and like some like someone who's played like the first and second edition where there was literally no mercy but i, I don't mind like pulling a punch in the very first game if a player's gonna get killed and just leaving them hanging on the thread oh there. i will i will see my philosophy when i'm running a game is the players have fun mm -hmm. and if it's a total party kill in the first 10 minutes that is not fun no mm -hmm. so depending on who i'm playing with whether if it's newbies who really don't know the game very well and stuff, I will fudge my dice rolls mm -hmm. so they don't die. Yeah. Because I might roll, they might be down to four hit points and I'll roll a nat 20 on whatever's attacking them. I'm like, ah, I don't really want to kill them. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell them I missed. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who think that's cheating, too bad. Um, <laughs> I believe that's in the, the DMG as the rule of cool in which... It's, it's so they have fun. Yeah. And that's my, my total goal. It's not me against them. It's them having fun, and I'm the facilitator of the fun. Mm -hmm. I've played with DMs who, who do that. They are just out to get you. Yeah. Not fun. Because mm -hmm. it, it also, it can generate bad feelings at the table. Mm -hmm. It's like, why are you being such a, a jerk and trying to kill my character? It's not kind of the point of the game. No, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, so it's like... A good a, a good GM will be able to parse that out, right? And they'll be able to take on the motives of their bad guy, but at the same time, trying to be on the side of the players. Oh, definitely. From a GM definitely. Standpoint. I always say yes to what they ask. Like you can try. That's a great I want answer. to. I want to dive off the cliff, land on the giant's shoulder, reach around, stab him in the eye with my dagger, backflip off him, land on the horse, and right away. Yes, go for it. Okay, and here's all the rolls you're going to need to do it. Mm -hmm. And the more rolls you give them, the more chance for a natural one. Oh, well, you missed the horse, landed and broke your leg. Now you're laying at the foot of the giant with a dagger in his eye. He's really mad at you. What do you do? See, that's the beautiful part. <laughs> because when they do all those cool things, they like, I think one of the things that's great for the storytelling of D&D of or any tabletop RPG is you're trying to create <clears throat> drama. And uh, exactly when the players, the more embellished and cool things they do, mm -hmm. the more chances of drama they're accidentally creating for themselves. Right. Yeah, um, but I mean, if a fighter says, I'm gonna try to heal myself, my first question is how? Mm -hmm. You don't have any magic. Oh, well, I have potions. Oh, okay, well then use the potions, just say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Tell me what you're doing so I can give you the proper whatever's to do it. Yeah. Okay, you said you'd fudge dice rolls if you'd rolled nat 20. Well. And you would say you failed. Yeah. Now here's a follow-up question. Sure. Have you ever done the opposite where you've rolled like and that one and you're like oh i really want to oh, take no. this guy down no i don't i i always take my own dice rolls oh, nice. I, if i roll in that one i was playing a game yesterday and uh i was i was running it and 
all my creatures were rolling like below 10, <laughs> like for the first 20 minutes. And yeah. I was like, dang it, what is the problem with, I didn't put batteries in my dice that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was my thought, or I didn't gas them up or something was wrong. Are you superstitious with dice? You know, I am and I'm not. Okay, I want to get into I, that. I, 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 am, I am sometimes, but I'm not usually. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like I, I will in game mm-hmm. be a little bit, but as far as like, don't touch my dice, you'll ruin the magic. Oh, I'm more like, don't touch my dice, you might have germs. Courtney's missing a thumb sheet where she touched my dice and I chopped it off. I understand. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that was in the beginning. See, of- now am I am I a dice whore? Yes. They're yes, like they're like shoes for new for nerds. That's what I look at. I mean, I just I don't need any more dice. But I mean, lately there's been an advertisement on my Facebook feed for these dice that have LEDs inside and they light up and the mm-hmm. numbers light up. Of course you need those. And 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 they're and they have a little they have an app so you can control the color on your phone. Ooh. And I'm like, I don't really need those. And I may never I could actually use them because I don't know if they roll right because I don't know how they're weighted because of the mm-hmm. electronics inside. But just to have them on a shelf and make them light up would be really cool. I am I'm not sponsored by this group, by the way, just so you know. I just noticed them. Uh so yeah. Yeah. That, so, but yeah, I have all kinds of dice. Yeah. So okay, before I, I rudely interrupted, you were telling us about how bad all your your minions or monsters are rolling. Oh, just yeah, just that one game. And then there's other times where the players are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they can't hit a thing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't know? happen to me. <clears throat> Yes. It does. It yeah, does. Yeah. That's why I usually, because uh, I, I have a dice box that I made, and I usually put at least five different sets of dice in there. Mm-hmm. So if one's not rolling right, the superstition is, Good well, I'll, I'll roll this one instead. Oh, yeah. Give have it. you ever, like, have they all ever rolled bad? Oh, yeah. Like, you just, you're, and that's when I gave up the, the superstition, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's operator error. It must be my fault for not flipping my wrist right or something. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yes. Yeah. Um, well, that makes me wonder. So, because I, too keep my roles um which it's making me think of like the the gm screen right that that screen separates you from the players sort of and allows you to to do that now i i was digging back as i was looking at kind of like the little bit of like the systems you sent me and how long you've been playing and i stumbled across this thing about how gms in the old days used to literally put up a whole wall uh our group didn't do that he, he, or the guy running, we had a kid who was running the game at the time. I uh-huh. played more often. I didn't DM until later. He usually put up like a binder. He would just put a binder okay. up in front of him. And even today when I do use a screen, I actually make my own screens. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, I have the regular ones, but I make my own and I make them short mm-hmm. so I can see over the top of them. Mm. Yep. And I stand up a lot of times when I'm pl- when I'm running the game. Mm-hmm. I don't. I sit down once in a while, maybe to make a note or something. But normally, when I'm telling everybody what they're seeing, hearing, smelling, that whole bit, or <clears throat> saying what my guys are doing and rolling dice stuff like that, I'm standing up so I can see everything at the table, and everybody can see me. And I just use the screen to maybe keep whatever creatures are going to come out later mm-hmm. at the ready, and notes I have, and maybe some maps and things, so they can't see it. Mm-hmm. Do you, so when you're standing up, is mm-hmm. it just so you can see, or do you actually It's use so they can entire... see me as well. Okay. Yeah, because if I'm narrating something, I will narrate it like I'm, I'll act stuff out. Yeah. So they can visually see what it is I'm talking about. Yeah. If, if some guy is having some kind of weird spell attack and he's spasming, I'll do the spasm, mm-hmm. make the noises and stuff. Um, 
Well, that's a pro tip even in like, so I've been getting into voice acting and that's one of the pro tips is you always act out literally with your body, what yes. you're doing. Yes, because I, I do voices too, just because I'm all about the immersion of the players. Mm -hmm. the, especially if you're doing theater of the mind, you have to do all that because they don't have anything else to look at. Right. If you're just saying you're going down this 10 foot hallway, the ceiling's 10 foot high, the floor is smooth. They don't actually see that. They have to imagine it. So when you're saying, well, you see this thing stumbling towards you, mm -hmm. you know, and you can see flesh rotting off the bones and things like that. You can describe it. And I also never tell them what they see. Mm -hmm. I never, I, I don't just, I don't give the name of whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You see a beholder. No, I describe, you see this big round thing with an eye and a large mouth and a bunch of tentacles with yeah. eyes, eye stalks. And I let them figure it out. Yeah, that's a fun exercise <clears throat> even like for, that I find to do is trying to describe it because it's like, you're trying to take this picture and the picture is like not like nothing in our life. Yeah. And, uh, or I'll hold up the book covering all the pertinent information and show them the picture of the creature. Mm -hmm. Or if I have time, I'll actually just print a picture of the creature and hold up the picture mm -hmm. and say, this is what you see. But I don't actually say you see a zombie, you see a skeleton, you see uh, an ithalid. I don't just give the name. Kind of like the way spells work. I don't say he casts this. Right. I say, you see this gesture and then suddenly you feel yourself be getting more and more stupid. Yeah. As opposed to saying feeble mind spell. Well, it's great mm -hmm. to do that because um, I've had players who like, and I, I actually don't mind, I don't mind the metagaming aspect of this, especially mm -hmm. when they're like prepping for a big boss battle, but like right. they love going to the, to the, into the monster manual and seeing what exactly the heck I'm describing it is. Oh, but, see, um, no, I don't let them do that. I keep the monster manual and the DM's guide. All they get is the player's guide. Yeah, I can't stop them. You know, they go home and look on the computer. And But the thing is, is they don't realize is my monsters are rarely the same thing in there. That's what I do as well. Mm -hmm. Especially for people who've played for years and they know exactly all the weaknesses of the red dragon or all the weaknesses of the wraith. Mine don't work that way. Yeah. In fact, I've had players, who, like for instance, uh, a cleric, player cleric was... Uh, Frustrated because he couldn't turn the undead I sent at him mm -hmm. and, and he and he started grabbing the monster manual. I said nope He goes well, this should be working. I'm like you don't know they look undead, but you don't know Yeah, and it turns out they were undead, but they actually had living souls inside operating them. Oh, yeah, so they weren't actually true Undead they I, were but they weren't they were different than what he was able to turn. Yeah And once I, he found that out yeah at the end of the game when I told him what it was he's like, oh Okay, I said yeah, yeah. don't don't expect to get your information, especially if you already knew it, because I will change it up based on what I know you know, mm -hmm. just to make it more interesting. Yeah. I love that twist on it too. And I, I hope somebody listening steals that. We actually- <laughs> Oh yes, all of these are up for stealing. Uh, of course, it's not stealing if I just give it away. Yes. So. Well, I mean, you heard on Starlight, so you can give us some some little, little money. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they have to pay me for my gas. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I, uh, I had it. I had it. I that's, lost it. That's okay. Age, oh, aging sucks. Go ahead. It does. Yes, I'm becoming a corpse myself. Um, he does have some gray hair and his facial hair. I do. Well, he's married, so that's it's what looking, happens. You know, marriage just brings out the classiness. <laughs> that's what marriage does. I'm, I'm glad you say so. So yes. the spells thing. <laughs> I remember now. The spells thing. That's a really cool idea. And I've, I'm probably half and half where I like explain what the spell is is doing mm -hmm. instead of saying its name but sometimes i'll just say it once like I, like all the, all the players know what magic missile is i'm not going to say it over and over again right but, right 
that's a really cool thing because we have a lot of like new GMs listening in or people who are getting into D&D and that's a cool thing to do I think because I feel like with the monster manual you can go look it up in hindsight but with spells you're not going to usually remember so and so spell and go look it up it's usually in the moment and then it's hard to like figure out what spell it is it's like okay it could be like any of these three spells I don't know which one it is true which is cool that's why I try to get familiar as much as I can with all the common spells, mm -hmm. charm person, magic missile, mm -hmm. fireball, mm -hmm. you know, uh, call lightning that a lot of people use. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the other weird ones, yeah, then I'll have to look it up and see mm -hmm. what it does just to make sure that what they're trying to do, like again, yesterday, um, it, I only had two guys playing and they got into a big cavern and they heard these heavy, heavy footsteps coming in and the Cyclops roared into the cavern mm -hmm. and it's just two of them. And it, it, this is a, a huge creature as yeah. listed by the monster manual. And uh, I had a warlock who had charm person and I wanted to look up to see because how charm person works, if it would work on this, because mm -hmm. normally you think of like another person, Yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. And I looked it up and I said, and it said humanoid. And I just went, why not? Yeah. It's got four legs or, or four, two arms, two legs and a head. That's humanoid. And I will do that. I will. Yeah. If the person comes up with something really, really innovative. If, if I think, wow, that's clever as heck, I'm going to let it go. And yeah. so I let him cast charm and he charmed the thing and they got by without a fight, which is what I appreciate when, yeah. when uh, my players are smart. Because mm -hmm. another group that I run. Uh, they broke into a room and there was like nine orcs just hanging out in the room. And there was four of them. And the wizard went, yeah, odds not good. So he started tossing them each a gold piece and he ended up recruiting. Them. And oh, I, nice. I did, I did the roles. Yeah. I did like his, he did a persuasion role and I did a kind of a, a combat, a combat role against, not a combat role, but combating his wisdom check mm -hmm. or his, his persuasion check. And. They lost, so he had an army of nine orcs that he took through the rest of the dungeon. Nice. So I I reward player innovation. Were you playing this at work? Yes. Nice. So tell me about you playing this at work, because most people would love to get paid to play the indoor. Yes, work. it's an amazing thing. I kind of fell into it. Yeah. I work at a confinement facility, and we have people who are in treatment. Wait, can you explain a confinement facility? Well, they they uh, did stuff that society says no to. Okay. And so now they've been put in this facility to be go through therapy and things like that. Okay. Um, so their social skills aren't the best. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing after doing some research. In fact, there's a research group in Seattle called, I think, what's the website? Like uh, RPG uh therapy.org or something like like that i'm not positive yeah, i didn't prepare i didn't know down. it was gonna be a test yeah. and we can put that in the description that way right once we figure out what it really is but they did research on how role-playing games help people with autism ptsd horrible social skills in general shyness mm -hmm. you know that type of thing so at my job about four years ago um I decided I'm going to start running games here. And I got the approval of my boss and everything. And in fact, there's another facility that's next to us where these guys come from originally. They go there first. And when they're deemed doing well enough to come to our facility, which transitions them back into society, mm -hmm. uh, in the main facility, they were playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. Just them as a group with no staff running the game, just them. So I just say, well, a lot of these guys have played already. So I'll start one over here. 
and it's taken off. I have approval of the all the management. It's actually an actual program now, and it's called dialectic role play therapy. Dialectic role play therapy. Therapy. That's amazing. Okay. What it does is it really helps, and everybody who's played can kind of see this when they do a little hindsight. It helps people learn to cooperate with each other. Mm -hmm. It helps them find a place in the group, mm -hmm. you know, an important niche, I guess you'd say. And it teaches you social skills and it's a safe place to do something, to, to, to try a, a social skill that you're not comfortable with in a safe environment where there's really no repercussions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and I encourage uh, peer pressure when it comes to somebody being a jerk at the table, yeah, mm -hmm. I have no problem with them. Tell them, stop being a jerk at the table. And I will tell them, look, if you don't play nice, you can't play at all. Mm -hmm. And that usually, that kind of helps set some people up for real life. Yeah. yeah. Whether they have a job or they're in a social situation that if they act like a jerk, you know, okay. they're not going to be accepted. Yeah. Well, you hold people to a higher expectation. I do. Right? Now, I, I don't do the... Uh, Oh, Monty Cook Games came out with it. The uh, the social contract thing or the, the what was it? The, it was the PC way to start a game. Like you had a, a, oh, a list. I, yeah, there's a lot of, of those. A yeah. list of what people are uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But my thing is I do a session zero with who I'm gonna play with. I'm gonna tell them, this is the game I'm playing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if they don't like it, they can go somewhere else and find a different table. Mm. Yeah. Because if I, try to cater to every single need of each person, I might as well be running Monopoly at that point. That will probably be very freeing for a lot of people to hear. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. for a lot of GMs that they forget, because we were talking about this earlier, but that we as GMs, I'm the same way. We just want to facilitate happiness. When I see people getting happy, I'm happy. But there is an element where like, we need to be happy as well. Well, right. There's no point in running a fantasy game, you know, AKA a Lord of the Rings-like thing, if you're not going to kill an orc, yeah. If you're if if you if killing is one of your triggers, you should probably play the game Toon, where you play a cartoon character like Wiley e. Coyote. So no matter what happens, you never get hurt. Yeah. You know, or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, because I, I looked at the list and it had things like ghosts, spiders, uh, blood. I'm like, well, oh, that's my entire game. There's yeah, right like a there. lot of spiders <laughs> in there. Like there's was, one that teleports. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Or if you're if you have any drow community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, so if I, I I just say, look, here's the game I'm going to run. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's not like, well, sometimes I'll describe heads coming off and blood flowing. That's fine. But so it's like an R rated game at, at most, mm -hmm. you know, and I only only if it's going to be like a dramatic kill or something like that. I don't mm. describe everything. Um, But yeah, I, I the social contract thing is fine, but that's something that you and your players should figure out amongst yourselves. Because I play with people who I've known a while. Mm -hmm. And none of them have any hangups about anything we do. Mm -hmm. So we don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, otherwise, it's, it's a reading the table. When yeah. you do your zero session, you get your players together, you talk to them, you find out what they want in a game. Mm -hmm. Not just what we just now discussed, but also just story-wise. Do you guys like a lot of social interaction, a lot of exploration, a lot of combat, which are the three main pillars of a D&D &D game. Mm -hmm. So you find out what they want so you can tailor the game to them to a point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then throw them, you know, curveballs curveballs during, during the, the session itself. Mm -hmm. And I also like to start players in the middle of action. Oh, that's a nice hot start. 
because the because you know the trope is you all meet in a tavern and it's like yeah that works great mm -hmm. but i'm more like so you're hanging onto the buckboard as the as the wagon you're driving is is hurling down the dirt road with orcs on horseback hot on your heels and that's how I, you know i'll start it like that i like starting people in in different things yeah there's yeah. the classic you wake up in a cell and you're naked yeah that's a fun those are fun starts because then they people are. engage right away there's you know right. like messing around which but you know some like the tavern start you like you said is good it's great for a slow build and it's, like, it's good especially for new players mm -hmm. who aren't ready to like start drawing weapons and killing things in the first 30 seconds where you mm -hmm. start mm -hmm. but like i said i read the game as far as who's playing it mm. and if it's experienced players i could start them anywhere now you just fell out of the air balloon and you're plummeting to the ground what do you do <laughs> you know and they'll be ready to go they're like oh i cast featherfall and we're good yeah yeah whereas a new player will be like ah, time's up you're dead <laughs> <laughs> lethal Splash. session um but so i imagine though with your work um where you're you're uh sorry i'm forgetting the name of the therapy the type of therapy dialectic role play therapy dialectic Ooh, that was my radio there. voice that dance. was that was <laughs> pretty good i need to learn how to do that um comes from doing the voices for the game yeah you get good at it over time <laughs> like who needs a, a right. coach right and you just can play D, &D for your yeah, whole life that's it but um i imagine though when you're kind of working with um some of the folks there that starts can be rough with groups at times and sometimes i'm sure it's completely fine i have a couple players who are not as intellectually advanced as some mm -hmm. others because we have a lot of uh, development developmentally um disabled people mm -hmm. there not so much that they can't do anything it's just that they might be 40 but have the mind of a 12 year old yeah and that's that's just who they are mm -hmm. and so i sometimes have to cater things to what how they work mm -hmm. i might have to explain which di which die to roll each time we go into combat because they okay. can't remember from session to session what die it is. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's all part of it. The whole thing is to not get angry at your players. You know, now if it's it's friends of yours and and the guy's up and he's he's taking a minute and a half to look up a spell he should have been looking up 10 minutes ago. Yeah, you can go, dude, come on. Yeah. We're passing you by, we're coming back to you. Right. Yeah. But when you're working with with uh the special groups like this, you kind of have to let them set the pace of the game mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as much as you want to get going and it's actually easier on you if you let them set the pace of the game yes yeah i think that um using this as like a social almost experiment and improving social skills is really powerful um and i could see how that could really help in a lot of like in those scenarios where people are maybe developmentally different places mm -hmm. Um, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's good work you're doing there. Thank you. So, yeah. uh, I know that. So in our in our Discord community, mm -hmm. um, we had we made an announcement that we were going to talk to you and kind of gave a little mm -hmm. bit of your background. I hope you didn't and... lose half your group because <laughs> no, we actually we gained lost people. <laughs> oh my gosh, those okay. poor schmucks. Um, no, we actually had someone from another podcast. Uh, so Cameron over at Table Talk Podcast wanted to actually specially ask you a few questions. All right. Um, so that's the, and then I think this one kind of fits in the vein, but he says, I feel like we hear more and more of D&D &D and other tabletop RPGs being used for therapy and this outreach. 
With your time in the hobby and your profession, what's your most proud moment? Um, probably when I hear about somebody who is, you know, quote unquote, graduated from the program and they're out mm -hmm. on their own and everything. And I hear information how they're doing and they're still playing. They found mm -hmm. a group out there because they were really great in my group. Mm -hmm. And they went out there and they continued playing, even though they didn't start playing until my group. Mm -hmm. They never played before. They were at our, our facility, but they are continuing to play out in the community and enjoying it. Mm -hmm. That's got to be, I just can't imagine. That's got to be an amazing feeling. Because it is. I, I'm kind of surprised. I thought, you know, this is something to kill time while you're here doing your thing, like to, you know, get all your ducks in a row to get out. But if they continue to play because they enjoyed it so much, when they were running games with us. Oh, that, great, that's fantastic. Yeah. Have you ever had anyone turn into a GM themselves? Actually, yes. Uh, depending on who wants to, I've had a couple of our guys run a game. I'll, mm -hmm. like, I'll run an adventure, oh, cool. and then I let them run an adventure. We just uh, finished one before the game we're playing now, where one of the residents was running a first edition rule set. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a, it's actually, it's a re, organization of, of the rule set. I don't know if you ever heard of the OSR community. Very Old school very renaissance. Okay. People who like playing first edition. Yeah. Even today. Mm -hmm. They like the first edition feel. Mm -hmm. So he there's a there's a lot of group, there's a lot of uh, gaming companies out there who are publishing OSR rules. Mm -hmm. They're like revamping the original D&D rules. I mean, before first edition, like the three pamphlets mm -hmm. where dwarf and elf were classes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so weird. Humans had classes and then elf and dwarf were their own class because they got a lot of advantages human didn't. Oh, wow. Right. And then also they had level caps. Okay. Like if you were halfling, you could only go up to seventh level. You couldn't go any uh, higher. What was the highest level? For, for a halfling, I think it was seventh. But for what like... Wizard your... was like ninth. The fighter was like eighth. That's oh, wow. the highest you could wow. get. Yeah, okay. they had all kinds of other caps. What does it go to now? No, 20. As much as you want. Okay. After 10 though, it's kind of boring because then you're just a black hole of experience points and everything you run into, you can kill by looking at it wrong. So it's like, eh. I very rarely have had, had players or even my characters go to 10. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I like to start people if they're experienced at three. Yeah. Level three. And if, once you hit six, seven, and eight, you know, you're kind of tapped out as far as being able to challenge them without mm -hmm. making stuff up. Mm -hmm. You're fighting an elder god. Cthulhu is standing in front of you. I mean, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. So, but they've been publishing a lot of OSR rules. And uh, one of our guys ran Swords and Wizardry, which is one of the companies. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Um, or I should say that's one of the games that a company puts out, which is a, a better organization of the original rules. Because the original rules that uh, Gary Gygax and David Arneson wrote are horribly uh, organized in the book. Hmm. They are not in a way where you can look stuff up quickly. Mm -hmm. You have to search all over for one sentence that said what you needed to, to hear. Oh mm -hmm. gosh. <clears throat> and so they've reorganized them into a much more friendly format. Mm -hmm. But they're this, essentially the same thing. And he ran that because that's what he grew up with. He's mm -hmm. an older gentleman. And uh, so he, he ran us through that. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And it gives them a chance to kind of be in charge of something and organize. It teaches them organization skills when they run a game because they have to figure out all the monsters. They have to figure out their setting because his was a total homebrew. He mm -hmm. wrote them. There was no module. Yeah. So he just wrote it himself. 
Did you have to kind of like corral him into doing that or? No, no, okay. he offered. He said, can I run a game? I said, absolutely. And I said, if you want, since you're not familiar with fifth and you are familiar with first edition, I have a book that's basically for first edition rules you can use to set up your game. He goes, great. And that's what we did. Awesome. Yep. That's very cool. I try okay. to slowly do this like little inception game. I don't know how it's going. I'll let you know when I find out. Okay. But I really love taking, I really love co-creating um, these stories and you're always co-creating these stories no matter what when you're, do, however you do GM or DM with your players. Mm -hmm. But I love putting my players on the spot every once in a while and asking, what do they see? What What is there that even <laughs> I don't know what's there and slowly like putting them in the DM seat and letting them like kind of like gain I can that, see that experience. Yeah. Um, and like, even when we're, when I'm like making my, I like to do like a, a handout of like world expectations and all that, basically like a session zero, just in a piece of paper. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just, that's something I like to do. So if people like that. That's cool. But, um, I oftentimes like asking, giving a limited world and then saying, Hey, if you guys want to write a backstory, write anything you want, I'll fill in the blanks, but if you want to make up whatever, I'll roll with it. Right. And like so you use whatever happen. town they grew up in yeah. or whatever bad Monarchy. thing happened to them. And then mm -hmm. you incorporate that into your setting. Yeah. And then that way they can run into it later. My goal is to do this long enough with people that then I'm like, hey, do you want to run a game? I'm going to try. And they're like, no, no, I'm not ready. And I say, look at what you did. <laughs> it's, uh, for those out there who have never run a game, it looks really intimidating. And it can be if you let it be. I have learned, when I first started running games, I was writing giant 20-page soliloquies about the entire world and everything, and they never saw it. Mm -hmm. It was just, yeah, I was like, okay, well, this is dumb. Now I use like three by five note cards and those little Dollar Tree notebooks, yep. you know, with the black and white speckled cover. And uh, pro tip, all you need to do is stock your world and that's it. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing, let's say I'm doing a basic dungeon crawl, I'll, I'll draw up the rooms, I'll stock it with treasure and monsters and traps. I will say the, 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 the adventure hook is they're rescuing somebody or they're looking for a magic object or there's untold riches, whatever, you know, and, and especially with experienced players, they know that they just, they just want to go on an adventure and you don't have to coerce them. Mm -hmm. they're, they're ready to do whatever you have set in front of them. But I, and then I just say go. And then I react based on what they do in the environment. I just have stocked with stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't actually write a story where they're going to go at each time because that's called railroading and that's bad. Because mm -hmm. railroading is what video games do. Yeah. You can only go one or two different paths depending on the type of game, but you're limited by the programming. With this game, you are not limited by anything. Now, invariably, you can set up this whole thing and you know the dungeon is on the right you you take a right at the fork and you hit the dungeon invariably your players are going to go left yeah right yep so it's it's like the, the the first casualty of your battle plan is the battle is the players <laughs> so all you need to do instead of freaking out is when they go left suddenly the dungeon is on the left yeah just move it don't stress out because they're not following the path in your brain you're not writing a novel kids you're setting up a sandbox for these people to play in. Mm -hmm. So just have stuff in your sandbox all over and then they will do all the work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They they create the story and I just react. 
Yeah. Like, I expected the one guy to fight all nine orcs. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He recruited him. I expected him to fight the Cyclops. But no, they charmed him instead. Yeah. And that's fine. Be flexible. Take some improv classes so you can learn to think on your feet. Or on your butt if you're sitting down. Uh, <laughs> and that is the key. The, the, the key to running a dungeon is to let them run it for you. Mm-hmm. They do quite a bit. They do yeah. most of the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my prep session is about 15 minutes, depending on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm running one now because because of the COVID thing. We've had to separate uh, the, the group somewhat mm-hmm. because okay. we're, we're, you know, about outbreaks and things like that. So the, the group I had is split and we have four on one group and two on the other. So I'm running two different days because we can't have the two separate right now. So the main group, the four, com- have completed the original mission that all of them started on. Mm-hmm. Well, what I'm doing is I'm having the other two go a different way and find their way there. Mm-hmm. And that way, when we're allowed to have everybody mix again after we've, you know, inoculations and everything, the groups will meet up. And continue on as a group so with the group of two i'm actually running it off the top of my head every single time wow. i have not written down one thing mm-hmm. they kind of have a rough idea we're actually uh set in skullport underneath Waterdeep. Okay. that's where they started oh, that's, such a, that's actually a really cool city it is it is and uh they're going a different way i have a guide kind of a dm babysitter to help them uh and they went into a different entrance into the Undermountain to find the group, to catch up with the group. Okay. And so I don't have anything written down. I just kind of think, yeah. you know, the day before, all right, I'll have them run into this, this, and this. And as far as the dungeon goes, uh, I I just kind of make it up. As you go. Turns, yeah. in, turns in doors. I just put them wherever I think it'd be cool for them to find them. Yeah. And... Your players won't know the difference. If you just put on that confident air like this whole thing has been planned for 10 years and you're unleashing it now, as opposed to I'm I'm pulling this out of my butt as we speak. You know, it's it's actually easy once you get comfortable with uh, your knowledge of the game. And a lot of times I don't even have the book open for monster stats. Uh, I like to, I don't nerf the rules per se, but I do a lot of homebrewing with my rules. So like, Orcs are like a two-hit kill instead of worrying about hit points. And that, that keeps that allows you to be more free-flowing and quick on your feet, right? Well, that, yeah. and it makes the combat quicker. Yeah. Because nothing is is worse than fighting three things, and it's taking you an hour and a half because of all the die rolls. What's worse is when they're all rats or something. Something ridiculous. Yeah. Like you should be able to switch. Yeah. So I do use the minion rule from 4th edition. I love that rule. Where it's like each each minion has one hit point. That way they can wade through like Conan if they want. And it makes them feel more powerful yeah. until they get to the guy who's actually big enough to stand up against them. But yeah, I uh, I don't worry about the hit points on my monsters so much. I just, you know, they're like a, a two hit kill or a four hit kill or an eight hit kill. And that way I don't have to roll a bunch of dice. Right. Because I also, when when I have them roll for damage, I have them roll their, or I, I roll the hit, they roll their damage dice at the same time. Again, to save time. And we do group initiative instead of single initiative, again, to save time, make combat, speed the combat up and get through it. Because combat should be fast. Because in real life, it's fast and chaotic. It's not organized at all. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so No, n- not at all. And D&D tries to like get it in this nice, neat order. And 
Yeah, that's actually the that the initiative thing came from old time war games like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Okay. Kind of came up with the initiative rule for war games back in the 1800s. So the one that they're still using today in D and D, like the rolled whatever dice and it's your order. Right. Okay. Yeah, that came that came about from older war games when you're moving entire armies and stuff because it was a turn based initiative based type setting, and so you could do something as simple as whoever you know it's dexterity. So every time the fastest dude goes first. And then uh, I believe Mike Merles has developed his own that he likes to use where it's a hit, it's a die. Like all missile weapons go first and like magic users roll a D4 and uh, fighters roll like a D12. Whoever gets the lowest goes first. So it depends on what you're playing, Yeah, which always, is I've been, hard. That is hard. I've been intrigued <laughs> by it because it, it makes a lot of sense. It's really cool, mm -hmm. but I don't think it would work very well with like either players who are very stuck in their ways and, and have a certain way that they is play, it right there or new players who like because like suddenly like now you're not throwing just one die 20 at them you're throwing not only do you got to premeditate on what you're going to do next <clears throat> and have that ready mm -hmm. but with like other players i think it's worth trying right the way i do it is i do group initiative and if they win the initiative it goes clockwise like say for instance if if jones rolls initiative Who's ever clockwise next to him goes first, all the way back around to Jones. Okay. And then the next time they roll and they win, uh, the guy next to Jones rolls it and then goes clockwise again. That way, clockwise for each roll of the initiative dice and starting from the next guy who, who, who sits next to the initiative roller goes clockwise in turn base okay. around that way. And it keeps it organized and it's a lot faster than trying to figure out who had you know, 18 to 20, yeah. 16 to 18, whatever. And it just, again, combat to make it faster. Yeah. Well, and so I, I did like this. Uh, I mean, viewers of the show know that for like smaller groups, I like to do like a card system. Um, Savage Worlds Savage does World. that. Yes. Yeah. I, think I also play that quite frequently. That's uh, I haven't played it, but I've heard great things it's, about it. It's an amazing. Now, it, it's a generic system, so you can put any setting mm -hmm. to it. But technically, so is D&D, because you can find science fiction games based on 5th edition rules. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is, instead of a number for your stats, it's a die. So you start with a D4 mm -hmm. in your strength. They have different names for them, but your strength, your agility, that type of thing. And then you get a certain amount of points to buy a little higher die, like one for one. That's cool. You get like five points to put in there so you can make everything a six. Where you can leave one or two things a four and make them an eight, a D eight, and then when you're rolling for a, a check of any kind, whether it be combat or to drive a car through traffic and not crash, you roll whatever your die is. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is still changing. Whatever, <laughs> whatever the die is in your skill. Yeah. Because you also have different four, four, six, eight, ten, twelve in skills, like uh, notice and uh, acrobatics and things like that, you roll whatever your die is in that skill along with a six-sided die called a wild die. And you take whatever one is higher and you only need to hit four or above. All your skill checks are four and above. Oh, wow. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, and you have to try to meet or beat their parry in combat, for instance if you're doing melee combat. 
because they have a parry based on their on their abilities. You know, it's a it's a combined thing where you you add the two together, divided by two, and then that's your your parry. So if you roll, say your com your your fighting skill is a, a an eight a right. d8, you roll a d8 and a d6. Whichever one rolls above a four, or if they both do, you 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 hit him. But you have to beat if he has a five parry. You have to roll that five five or above. Oh, okay. so you get there. you can get this volley back and forth. You can. That sounds really and cool. And if if the die rolls its highest number, if an eight rolls an eight, six rolls a six, you get to roll it again. Okay. It's called a raise. Okay. And then that helps you, you know, beat the parry. If it's a ranged attack, you just have to hit a four. Okay. Because you can't parry a bullet mm -hmm. unless there's some ability that lets you do that, or it adds to your your parry to or not parry, but it adds to your your uh, ability to to move or whatever. Jay, and depending on the setting, you should definitely come back for a one shot where you GM for the show, a okay. Savage Worlds game. Okay, for us. that would be so fun. Yeah, sure. All right, sure. you heard yeah, it. Threaten me with gaming. <laughs> that you heard it. The man's in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, we're doing it. We're kind of. I, I feel like we're kind of getting li a little bit long in the tooth, but I wanted to save some time for a few more things. Um, so I'm gonna kind of like segue us a little bit. But okay. first, we have one more question from the Q and A chat, and I think that this one kind of goes well with what we were talking about before about you know. Let's don't stress when you're running your game. Right. Let the ideas come to you. And I've heard a lot of this advice of like, take stories you've read about, take um, things that you've seen in movies for inspiration. To oh, out I next. steal constantly. Perfect. I knew you, you were going to say that. If it's not if it's not from a setting in D and D, it's from something I just watched and went that would be cool. In fact, when I watch certain shows. I go, that'd make a great Savage Worlds game, or that'd make a great D&D game. You know, in fact, I've watched movies that for the sole purpose of finding inspiration. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the Iron Sky series of movies. Yeah. Where you have moon Nazis who live on the moon and ride T-Rexes. If that's not cool for a game, I don't know what is. I'm like, Shark, I'm, I'm going to play that. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, so, see, this is perfect because we have people in the community who are curious, what are like your... If you had to pick three, what are your three go-to places for inspiration when either running a game or creating content? Um, I will look at, well, that's hard. I don't know if I have just three. Uh, certain films that I can look at them and just say, hey, I bet that has some really cool steampunk aspect or fantasy aspect that I can use. Um, some some fantasy novels, mm -hmm. like the Mistborn series. Mm. Ugh, beautiful. With the allomancy magic. It's like the coolest thing. And I'm still trying to figure out a way to work that into the D&D magic setup. Because I think that using different metals to push, pull, and all this other stuff is really cool. Um, I also steal from other D&D uh, modules. Uh, one of the... Like when I'm doing something uh, in the Underdark. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't use the actual module. The, what is it? In, into the Underdark, I believe it is. Where you... Start oh, yeah. with a, you're in a drow jail. Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, and this is nothing against Wizards of the Coast, but it's a really crappy module because it's very boring. It's great as a setting. If you use it as a setting for the under underdark, yeah, that's what I use. Okay. You know, you take certain areas like Menza Baranzin and uh, some of the tunnels and things that live there. 
use that, but write your own story because otherwise you're just plotting through the Underdark with no actual mission. Right. You're just leaving the Underdark and trying to find your way out. And it, I've played it, I've, or uh, yeah, I've played it with somebody else running it. We played it for probably for about two months and we finally said, look, it's not you, it's, it's us. What a bad it's, it's, it's the game. This is a horrible module. It goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. So you're running it great. It's just that we're not having any fun doing it. Yeah. Which again, is the whole point of the game is to have fun. And that's because there was no like overarching mission or- There was, yeah, there was no of... reason for us to be in there other than we were already there. Okay, that makes sense. And I'm not sure why it ended up that way. Okay. It just, I just, there are certain modules that are great and there are certain modules that are okay. There's a couple YouTube videos that kind of, these guys break it down to what their opinion is or a poll right. of which are the best modules to run. The last one I checked, Curse of Strahd was like at the top. And I've run that, it is a lot of fun. And I've run uh, Dragon Heist, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which yeah. is a lot of fun. That's a great one. Because yeah, they get to do social skills and open a bar. Yeah. And when I ran it with the guys at work, they actually started figuring out how much their income was and how much they were spending mm. on supplies. They actually started doing a whole mercantile thing. And I don't know if I'm, I might've got bored. Life like, lessons. But they were having a good time yeah. figuring out how to run a bar. And I'm like, okay. 15 years from now, you're going to get an invite to <laughs> yeah, whatever to the you want to Manor Bar. Yeah, yeah. That's, that'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I I think because movies and books are probably the best place to consume things. TV shows. Right. Um, heck, even video games are starting to get to the point of being so cinematic that you can see they are. little pieces. They are. Um, Still can't get me to play them, though. <sighs> Skyrim, Skyrim didn't get him. Oh, no, Skyrim didn't get me. Because again, because it was so narrow focused, it's I got true. I got bored. I, I actually like, have ah. a, I have our time with video games now mm -hmm. because of tabletop role playing games. Yep, uh, I'm ruined. So, sorry, Sega. <laughs> Sega, you can still you can still sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I wanted to save some time because not only do you do all these cool things with D&D and you have this storied history and all of this sage advice, mm -hmm. but you are also a content creator on YouTube. <coughs> I am. And I, I am. Was, we have a resource channel we run. We've been getting, I mean, with COVID, a lot of people are starting to like realize things they want to try and do. And we've had people reach out who have never played D&D and they're looking mm -hmm. for like resources. So I would love for those who want to kind of get into this little side hobby. Uh, you specifically make terrain and all sorts of cool things. Can you yes, tell us a little bit about what your channel's called and then what you do on it? Well, it's called uh, RPG DIY. And in hindsight, maybe not the best title because you type that in and you get a lot of people who they're just RPG DIY projects. They're not the actual channel. So you kind of have to put in channel at the end. And I believe you actually have the Mm -hmm. Do you have that you can put in the... I, oh, for yeah. sure. It'll be in, in the doobly-doo the, the doobly link yes. and in the resource channel. Excellent. So go there. Don't listen to me. But that's what it's called. And I do uh, reviews on products that I thoroughly enjoy. I won't review something I don't like because mm -hmm. what's the point? I'd just be trashing somebody else's work. Um, but I do reviews on uh, some things. And I build terrain using mainly XPS foam which oddly enough, it's kind of hard to find in our area, at least the half inch size. I can get the, the inch size door frame size. Oh, the giant The ones? pink yeah. foam, yeah. I but I but So I had to order it on Amazon, you know. Oh, well. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, and 
uh, I, I also show how to do a lot of 2D stuff, especially with COVID and people are running video chats and when they want to set up uh, a camera to show the actual battle mat with figures and things, it can be kind of hard to show when you have like full-size walls and things, which I don't do. I do like half-size walls because you can't see the figures. Right. I've so seen, I've seen you set these up before too, and it doesn't detract at all. It, it still looks amazing. That's that's and also if you ever have to go somewhere to run a game, it's much more portable. Because uh, I do a couple videos on how to do the two day two D terrain where I just use sticky floor tiles that have a stone pattern on them, and you cut them into strips and put rubber backing on them, and you can draw stones on the top and you lay those down. So instead of drawing your dungeon on your grid, you just lay those down as your walls. And so I know for me, like crafting like that is not necessarily my love. My love's for the writing and the storytelling aspect. Right, right. And I definitely have been overwhelmed at times. And you, your, your projects actually, you do it in such a way that it's easy to follow, easy to understand. But for like a caveman like me, I still find them a little too difficult. But that one, that specific one, mm -hmm. as anyone can do that. Like, oh yeah, it was it, it, great. It, it, it's like, you know, it's like a buck something for the 12 by 12 floor tile and you can get all kinds of walls out of it. Yeah. You know, um, I've also done actual full 3D rocks out of the pink foam using, uh, I, have, I don't have a hot wire table, but I have a hand hot wire cutter and how to paint them, how to seal them first so the paint just doesn't soak into the foam and then paint them up to look like rocks. So. You could lay down a, a gray tile or a no tile. I don't even use grids very often, to be honest with you, to measure distance. I just kind of like look at it, and go, that's close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it, it, I, I'm trying to get away from the board gamey feel that that the grid can use that makes it feel like that. Right. So I try not to use it as much. That's I absolutely have to. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll do 3D terrain. It's not as transportable, but they it can be because it's super light for one thing. But it, the the trade-off is the immersion level so much higher. Exactly. I'm huge on immersion, hence I do voices. Plus I do music and sound effects as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, it's it's more much more fun when somebody's trying to pick a lock and they roll their dice and you see that it succeeds and you, you tap the button for the sound of a door opening. Yep. You know, it's much, instead of saying, yeah, you, you got the lock. Because mm -hmm. then you can see their eyes like light up. They're like, oh my gosh, I got it. You know, because they hear the door open. Right. And so I, 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 as much as I can, I use music and sound effects as well as voices for the total immersion. And then of course the terrain. Yeah. Because the more you can see, the less you have to describe. Speaking from the player perspective, not mm -hmm. ever having been a GM, it's really cool and super rewarding. I remember when Isaac started doing it and it added so much to my mm -hmm. level of involvement and like immersion. When yeah. you have when you have players sneaking in, you know, nobody failing their stealth rolls, uh, into this cavern where they think there's something there, and you crank the volume up and play a dragon roar, and you watch people at the table literally jump in the chair, like yeah. they jerk, like, oh. That is the most rewarding thing. For sure. <laughs> because is. if that doesn't feel as real as it can get when they're actually scared at the table, yeah. especially if you're running something like Call of Cthulhu and you have like the lights low and candles lit and you start playing eerie weird noises and stuff and you get that creep factor up, that is the best. Yeah. You could have the worst scenario in history, but because the atmosphere is so good, they will just love what you're doing. 
Yeah, and I, I've experienced that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recommend it. It's even as simple as like if you you can go tabletop audio online. They have a Patreon as well, and you can you can do all that for free. You can also that's my favorite right there. Spotify. My only caveat that I would say is if you're on Spotify, be careful with the songs you pick. For example, I don't know how, but the the Shire Welcome to the Shire from The Hobbit mm-hmm. ended up on my playlist. And I must absolutely mind and put it on there. Now I can't take it off because it's a running joke for me and my players. But nothing ruins the ambiance more than the the Hobbit's <laughs> flutes coming on and everyone going, ah, oh, Bilbo. Yeah. <laughs> As we're fighting a dragon. Yeah. I don't play that playlist while we're fighting a dragon, <laughs> but come on. It it can be it can be a, a problem if it's very very recognizable music. I mean, if you're playing Star Wars, yeah, play Star Wars music. Oh yeah. Yeah. But when you're playing, you're you're deep in the dungeon, and there's dripping water and the sound of echoing footfalls, and da 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 comes on, you're like, ah, crap, and it just totally destroys the mood. <laughs> yeah. It does. So, and for those of you who like to stream your games, copyright oh, can be an yeah. issue. Yep. So make sure you choose things that are free to use mm-hmm. so people don't come hammering at your door with a lawyer in tow because yep. that can be a pain. That's happened before. And so for that, I, I recommend if you're going to stream and do that, uh, Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com is a really good place. He has a very stringent um, way of citing his songs, but it's all completely free as long as you do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. T- um I don't know what tabletop audio is, but Sirenscape is fine for you to use it as long as you accredit them and obviously as long as you're paying. So those are some good go-to. Right. As lo- a lot of artists, a lot of music artists will let you use their stuff for this if you say where you got it. Right. You know, and mention their name. It's as simple as that. Um, well, as we're kind of getting close to kind of ending this out, Jay, I have a few more important questions. Oh, boy. And uh, the only promise is until we get to the last one, Mm-hmm. You got to answer them as quick as possible. Oh boy! Okay. If you it's were a lightning a, round, yeah. If you were a dessert, what would you be? Uh, pineapple up, upside down cake. Ooh, that okay. sounds good. Okay. Die twenty or die hundred. Die twenty. Ooh. Um, if you could live in any TV show, what would it be? Star Trek. Sloth or platypus? Uh, platypus, because I want to poison things. Um, one note, when you call Jay's phone, we should call your phone. Oh, please it. don't do that. Should we do it phone? right now? Yes. No, don't do it. Okay. Don't. <laughs> it's very funny. All right. Very all funny. Right, I feel right. like, you, okay, ready? So we're ringing to Jay's phone right now. Oh, boy. It is awesome. Here, here throw, throw it over here. We get a better mic right here. <laughs> it's going to take a second. Uh, yeah. Dun, dun, this is great dun, use of the airtime. That's not the song. It's coming. Please listen to the music while your party's being reached. Why is it ringing so long? It's never yeah, It rings this long every time, guys. Yeah. Every time. Okay. I'm going to have to edit this down. Audio signal, please feel free to leave any verbal communication you feel necessary. 
Yep, hardcore Trekker. Love it. So when Jay says he would live in Star Trek, he <laughs> kind of made Star Trek his reality in some way. I, uh, you know, Spock's my hero. Ain't gonna lie. I love it. Now this is a really important one. Answer honestly. Answer quick. And this is gonna show how much you actually care about us. Who's your favorite spacer from the Starlight podcast? Well, both of you. McKenna, Atlas, or Clive? All of them. Ugh. We definitely, that, that that wasn't promising. You're in the hot water. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this one, go and take as long as you need to think about oh, this. Oh, all right. But can you give our audience a story hook to kickstart their next adventure as we close out? Mm. Oh, give me a second here. Should um, I call this one again? No, no, do it. Yeah. So, again, since I like to start mainly experienced players, but you could probably do this with new players as well. They are at the celebration or the inauguration of some town official, and he's assassinated right in front of them. And so now they have to find the assassin and stop whoever it is who wants to take over the town. Dun dun dun! There you go. Bam. And with that, guys, thanks for jumping in and joining us. Jay, we really appreciate having you. Um, oh, thank you very much. And go ahead and check out all this stuff. You've got uh, RPG, DIY, and a few of the other links that we're going to have down in the doobly-doo. So with that, signing off. Farewell. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Starlight. If you enjoyed this, please like, share, subscribe. For early releases, exclusive RPG content, and other bonus material, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash starlightadventures. And to reach us for questions to be aired, email us at thestarlightadventures at gmail.com. See you next Tuesday, spacers. <laughs>